We asked you last week to adopt a child to pray for it. All 68 have been adopted. So that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Fantastic. Let's pray together. Father God, we do bring our children and our teens before you. And Lord, they're growing up in a world vastly different from the world most of us ever knew. And we just pray your covering and protection on them. Pray, Father God, that you would help them during, the, during these formative years of their lives to be formed in their relationship with you so that in the future they will walk with you and find the strength that you provide. Thank you for giving us your word, and I pray, Father God, that you would stretch us today, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I think it's uh, Max Lucado, or I forget who it is, one of the authors that I read recently told a story of a years ago, a woman had to take a trip into the inner parts of, of Africa. So she hired a guide, and then she hired porters. This was in the days when they used to have to carry their stuff out into the jungle. So she hired a guide, and she hired porters, and she needed to get into the inland as quickly as possible. And so for the first day, she really pushed the pace. And they traveled, and she was very happy at the end of the day of how far they had come. But the next morning when she got up and tried to get on with the journey, the porters refused to move. They just flat sat on the ground, and they would not pick up anything or, or, or carry anything forward. So she called the guide, and she said, what's wrong? Why won't they do it? And his answer to her was, you traveled so fast yesterday that they're waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. <laughs> Ever feel like that? Ever feel like in the middle of the busyness of our lives that the one part of us that we pay little attention to is our souls? And when you don't, your soul begins to suffer from soul fatigue. And I know what soul fatigue looks like in my life. I get irritable. Have you noticed that? Your, your, your spouse's chewing gum seems like a moral issue. Yeah. Really, it's like, oh, stop. You find that you have cravings, that you, that, that you cravings for things, and you don't know why I'm craving, but you will crave to, to spend or to eat or do something. It's because your soul is trying to send you a signal, and you're misreading what signals it's giving to you. Relationships suffer from soul fatigue. Some of us spend all of our energy at work, and by the time you come home, you've got nothing left. You're completely worn out. I heard a certain member of our church tell the story yesterday of how he'd come home worn out from work, and his wife, who was taking care of the babies, was worn out from taking care of the babies. And so you have two worn out people at this point in time. The one's trying to hand off the babies, and the other one doesn't want them at all. And so soul fatigue is something we all suffer from to some extent or another. But also, we suffer from the fact that our souls get lost, that our souls wander off in the wrong directions. And sometimes we wake up one day and think, what was I thinking? Why was I doing that? How did I get so far off track in my life? And all of us know that at some point in time, we need a soul restorer. Just let me talk about our souls just for a moment. My soul is the only me who will ever exist. Ever thought of that? You're the only you who will ever exist in all of eternity. Even if you have an identical sibling, that's not you. They're a complete, separate individual. You're the only one of your kind that has ever been created. And when God created you, if, he'd, if we'd been living in a perfect world, all of the strengths that he built into you, the uniqueness of who you are, would have showed up and been showing up in, in your life. 
you and I would be incredible people. Well, we are anyway, but we would be more incredible people if we had never rebelled against God because each one of us was created uniquely by God with strengths, with talents, with gifts, with, with his design for us to be part of what he's doing in the world. And so you're the only you who will ever live. And you will live forever. That's one of the astounding things, is to understand that you know, we talk about people who died and they've gone and they've left us. No, they're somewhere else. They're still alive. They're just in another realm. They're in another dimension. And God designed us to understand that we live forever. And while our bodies are important and we're never separated from our bodies, our soul is the part that we should be concerned about. God is concerned about our souls. And the psalm that we've been studying is a psalm that addresses us in terms of our need for soul restoration. Here's why we need soul restoration. First of all, when we rebelled against God, we became both wounded and wicked. Have you ever noticed how easy it is we just swing the pendulum from wounded to woundedness or wickedness? Some people love to talk about human beings as being wicked and always coming down on us for our wickedness. Others like to talk about us as only wounded people. And that's where we focus our attention. But we're both wounded and wicked. I remember a uh, member of our church was a psychologist counseling a woman who'd been terribly abused as a little girl. And as she grew up, she started to abuse others, including her own children. And one of the things he did with her is he sat her down and he said, you need to understand that you're both wounded and wicked. You're wounded and we need to help you to heal. But you're also wicked. You're not allowed to do to others what you're doing, and you're not allowed to do to your children what you're doing. You need to focus on the fact that you're both wounded and wicked. Most of us have all of that inside of us. Our souls are being wounded by life. Our souls are being wounded by sin, and we're also wicked. <laughs> Whether we like to admit it or not, we're capable of unbelievably evil things, at least evil thoughts. I don't know about you, but we'll move along. I don't want to talk about me. And we're also prone to wonder. We tend to wander off in the wrong direction. It's an interesting thing about sheep, is that when a sheep finds grass, it'll put its nose down and start to eat. No matter where that grass leads it, it'll wander away. And we're told that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone each one to our own way. And when we live, even if we're doing our best, we're still susceptible to fatigue, that soul fatigue that sets in. But the interesting thing about us as human beings is we pay attention to our bodies, but very little attention to our souls. Here's a way to test it. Is it possible for you to go and sit in a chair out in your garden and do nothing for an hour? Your soul is in trouble. Think about it. To just go and sit and do some, nothing for an hour. Since I knew I was going to make the statement, I tested myself. <laughs> it is so hard. Because after about three minutes, I'm going, hmm, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do the other thing, I've got to give me a It's amazing. And it's, it's an, it takes a lot of energy to make yourself do nothing. Isn't that weird? <laughs> You've got to spend energy just to make yourself do nothing. So what we need desperately is we need a soul restorer. And the word restore that we're going to encounter as we read Psalm 23 together, the word restore means several things. It means to restore to life again, something that has died. It means also to restore to a previous condition 
just like we would restore furniture, to take something back to the condition it was originally intended to be. And so the restoring is a work that is done, and in our case, it is a work that is done from the inside out, that God restores us to life, and then God restores us to the kind of people that he intended for us to be. Read with me. This is Psalm 23, and we're just going to read the first section of it. Read with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Interesting thing about Psalm 23 is you read through the psalm and you find that the initiative that is in in terms of dealing with us as souls, God takes the initiative. We don't. God takes initiative, and God keeps up that initiative all the days of our lives. It's one of the most amazing things, is that God loves you so much. You, the one unique creature he created, that all of your life he pursues you. We sang it in one of those songs, that there's never a time that God lets you go. There's never a time that God is not concerned about you. And in Psalm 23, as we read the psalm, we discover that it focuses on Jesus Christ And it is he who feeds us, he who leads us, he restores us, he guides us, he guards us, he comforts us, he vindicates us, he honors us, he blesses us, he pursues us. God is always pursuing us. In case I forget to say it later on, the Holy Spirit is pursuing you right now. He wants to flow into your life and he wants to meet your needs and to change you. You have to just let him. We don't have to go in search of him, we don't have to persuade him, we don't have to ask God to love us. He loves us, and he is the one who pursues us. And he pursues us because he doesn't want us to want. Now, the minute we read this, we're going, "Um, excuse me, Lord, there's a few things I want that I don't get. It doesn't say, I shall not want what I want. Okay? It's obviously not speaking about that. Now, God does promise that he's going to meet material needs in our lives. In a general promise. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, ask God for your daily bread. And God will hear and answer your prayer. Later on, he tells us, don't be afraid. Don't worry about the future. Because your father knows what you need. And so don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about shelter. Because your father knows that you have need of these things. So there is that orientation that God takes care of us as total people. But I think what's happening in Psalm 23, because of the fact that restoring my soul statement, that he's focused here not on meeting our needs, those needs. He's focused on meeting the needs that are down deep inside of us. The problem is we always want what we want, and we always want what? More. Ever thought about that? Or new. There's something about us that we're just wired to want more, more, more. Uh, if, if you can, go rent the movie Dick Tracy. Do you remember Dick Tracy, the movie a few years ago? Go rent it because Madonna sings a song in there that you've got to hear. And she sings about the fact is, what do I want when I've got everything I want? And she says, I want more, more, more. I want more. And that's the problem with us. John D. Rockefeller, after he died, someone asked his... Uh, um, his accountant, someone said to him, how much did he leave? And the accountant said, all of it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? All of it. We will never have enough 
if we're trying to fill our souls with material possessions, with the stuff of this world, we will never have enough because it can't satisfy us. I, I want to do a study on, on the book of Ecclesiastes some, someday in the future. Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, and here's what its title was. When everything you've always wanted is not enough. Isn't that a good statement? When everything you've always wanted is not enough. Because down at the core of our being is our souls, and the soul cannot be fed by stuff. So God does take care of us. But when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You read the book of, of, of Hebrews, chapter, chapter 11, and you discover that there were people who had tremendous faith in God. It says the world was not worthy of them. These were all commended for their faith. And they lived in caves and holes in the ground. They were destitute and they were persecuted. And you'd say, well, didn't they go to the Lord with Psalm 23 and say, excuse me, Lord, you promised that I shall not want? So that helps us to understand that's not speaking about that God has committed to make us healthy and wealthy and, and take, make, make sure that we all live in a lap of luxury the rest of our lives. It's speaking about the fact that there's something down at the core of our beings that only God can touch. And so if we would expand on this, I would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything my soul needs. Sometimes my soul is going to need material help. Sometimes my soul is going to need health, help. But it is help that comes to my soul. Think about the people in Florida today, people in Houston. Lots of really, really committed Christians are losing everything today. Their houses are being destroyed, completely wrecked. What do they need? They need food, they need shelter, they need clothing. But they also need what only God can provide, and that is the resilience down inside of their souls to be able to handle the days to come and to handle the, the kind of trouble ahead of them. And that's what God, our shepherd, is promising us. Now remember that, notice that Lord is capitalized. That's the name that, that was the name given for, for, for the personal God, the God in relationship with Israel. Y-H-W-H were the, were the consonants of it. We don't even know how to, to, to pronounce it anymore. Yahweh is one of the, the suggested, or Yahweh. But it is the name that was added to Jesus. When the angel told Mary that she was to be, give birth to a son, he said to her, you shall call him Yahweh Shua, which means God saves, the Lord saves. And so Yahweh Shua came into Aramaic as Yehoshua or Joshua. It came into Greek as Jesus, and it came into English as Jesus. And so when we read Psalm 23, the Lord we're reading about here is Jesus. And so it's personal, connected, right to us in this day and age. So, I need a soul provider. I need a soul restorer. And my soul needs soul food. Notice this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's interesting. It says that he makes me lie down. <laughs> it's like when your kids were small and they were tired. Remember that? They're tired. They're cranky. And you tell them, go to bed. Do they say, okay, Dad, and go no. to bed? No. No. There come, comes a time when you've got to pick them up and make them lie down because they need that kind of rest. And there are times when your shepherd and mine steps into our life and he makes us lie down in green pastures. A sheep is the only other animal we know of that suffers from insomnia. Who's the other animal? 
Us. Sheep is the only other animal we know that suffers from insomnia. And a sheep will not sleep if it's at all afraid or if its stomach is empty. And so the shepherd knows he has to find green pastures and take the sheep there and make it eat enough that when it's eaten the right amount of the right kind of food, it'll lie down. And that's how he does it. So what does Jesus do with us? We don't eat grass. We eat the word of God. Peter says this, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. God has so designed us as human beings that our brains can hear, our eyes can see, our brains can hear God speak to us. And when God speaks to us, what God says is to our souls what food is to our bodies. With me there? We need the word of God not because God has a set of instructions, but because this book is living and powerful. And when we open this book, God is able to speak to us and he's able to speak to our souls. That's why if you're ever in a time of deep trouble, you go to the Psalms. And as you read the Psalms, what happens is God speaks to you. And I'm telling you to be receptive for it because he does. And you find that there are times when God speaks through his word and it goes down deep inside of your soul. And you find that right there he meets you at that deepest need. That's why we need to be hearing the word of God. We need to be teaching the word of God. We need to be studying the word of God. And we also need to learn to be in the word of God for ourselves. That's why I'm going to recommend that that we do set aside time to allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. And when we do, you open your Bible and just read it. Just start with the Psalms if you have to. Now, I also want to encourage you with something. One of our jobs, David and my, our job is to not only teach you the Bible, but to teach you how to use your own Bible, how to study your Bible. And so if you would like to be part of a group of people, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, who will learn how to use your Bible, use the little connection envelope and let me know you want to come. Write your name on there and just... Um, Actually, we we, we were going to call it Iron Man 2, but I want to open it to women as well. So if you would like to be part of that, one of the most wonderful things we can do is teach you how to open the Bible for yourself. And it's easy once you see how to do it. It's so simple once you take the first steps. We've been born again because of the Word of God. What happens is that sometime in your life you heard about Jesus. Somebody explained Jesus. The Word of God was brought to you. The Gospel was explained to you. And a light went on inside of you. And you didn't know what was happening, but what happened is the living and powerful word of God just went inside of you. And at that moment in time, you were born again because you believed the word of God that you heard from somebody just about Jesus. I've had experiences where as I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, the light goes on inside of their eyes. You can tell. It's there. They've been born again because they've heard the gospel, understood it, And now they believe. And so, and if you haven't understood that yet, by the way, make sure you make time with David and myself. We'd love to make sure that that part is settled. He says, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Do you see how important the word of God is? It's to our souls. 
what food is to our bodies. It is to our souls what milk is to a baby. By the way, one of the things with taking a poem, it's kind of like, like taking a rose. You find this beautiful rose, and it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And you decide, now I'm gonna, I want to understand how a rose is made. And so you peel the petals off, and you look down inside and you study it. And then when you're done, you go, hmm, that beautiful thing's gone. Okay? So one of the things I'm scared of is that Psalm 23, when we're done with this, you're going to be going, ew. <laughs> it's no longer that beautiful poem. So I don't want to ruin it for you. But I want to make sure that as we read it, we know what God is saying so that the beauty comes back fully, the beauty God intended uh, for us to understand. Okay? So... Jesus feeds our souls by speaking to us through the Bible. When you read your Bible, be fully conscious of the fact that this is not just a handbook on successful living. Understand the fact that when you read the Bible, Jesus is speaking to you through it and be receptive to it. And sometimes you read it and you go, I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe that's true for me. Be receptive because Jesus will speak through the scriptures to you. So we need soul food. We also need a new spirit. It goes on by saying, He leads me beside quiet waters. A shepherd knows that sheep will never drink from running water because a sheep is afraid that if they get close to running water and start to drink, (laughs) their wool is going to get loaded with water and eventually the sheep is going to tip into that water. They're terrified of running water because running water can drown them. And so what a shepherd will do is he will look for a place where there's quiet water or he'll create a little stream out of it, a little pool, so that they will come and they will drink beside quiet waters. Do you get the quiet? That there are times when God wants us to slow down and be quiet so that he can access the core of our beings, to get beyond the noise, beyond the busyness, to get down inside of us. And the way he does it is by his spirit. On the last and greatest day of this feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. It's interesting. The Bible is called the living word of God. And the spirit of God is called living water. Our souls need life-sustaining input. And it comes from the Word of God, and it comes from the Spirit of God. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit of God was given on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and from then on has continued to fall upon everyone who believes. And the moment you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life and comes all the way down inside and then begins to flow and begins to change us from the inside out. And being aware of that is critically important. I grew up in a church where, as I understood it, the way I could be saved was by obeying the law, obeying the Ten Commandments, by doing, doing doing good. And the way that I could grow was that I had to do, do, do things. Always doing. And that's true. But there's something that comes before it. 
And that is the Spirit of God inside of us who gives us the power to do it, who gives us the ability to change, the ability to obey the laws of God, the ability to, to, to become someone who grows. And so the Spirit of God and the Word of God work together inside of us. And when you read the Word of God, the Spirit of God takes it and he applies it so that the two of them work together on the inside of us to nurture our souls and to help us to grow. I need soul food. I need this new spirit, this refreshing spirit living inside of me. And I need vigorous exercise. <laughs> this is the one we go, uh-oh, shoot, we could have missed all of that. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, the sheep could go from the sheep pen to wherever they were eating. They could go the same path every single day. They would never know the way to go back home again. And so the shepherd would have to lead them back in that direction. The picture here is that when the shepherd leads us, he leads us uphill. <laughs> See, God loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And so what he does in our life, and it's one of those things that's once you've believed in Jesus, he starts the process. And that is he leads us in paths that lead upward. He wants to make you more and more righteous. He wants to make you more and more into someone who is just like Jesus. Here's the beauty of it. Just, just think about this for a moment. God wants to turn you into the person you were originally created to be. So what he does is he works in your life to take your weaknesses and turn them into strengths or to eradicate those weaknesses. And he takes your strengths and he breathes life into them to turn them into greater strengths. And so what God is at work doing is he's at work turning you and me into the person we were originally created to be. He's in the work of reconstructing us, restoring us, turning us back into those people that he originally intended us to be. And he does so by leading us in the paths of righteousness. Now it says for his own name's sake. Okay? His reputation's on the line. If God allowed us to just believe in him and then live sinful lives the rest of our lives, his reputation would be at stake, wouldn't it? Your children just live sinful lives. They live dirty lives. They're no different from people of the world. What kind of a God is that? For his own reputation's sake, whether you like it or not, whether we, he wants to make sure that he turns us, as Jesus said, into people who are miniature reproductions of himself. And so at any given moment, your shepherd and mine is at work moving us upward, leading us in paths of righteousness, making us stronger and stronger. Hebrews chapter 12 uses the description of, of a coach who coaches his athletes in order for them to develop their strength and their skills in their area of, of expertise. And God our Father works in our lives like that, constantly transforming us, changing us, strengthening us, and leading us in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. So, let's just think for a few moments about following our soul provider. It's interesting that one of the strong words that the Bible uses in calling people to faith was, follow me. Jesus, as he gathered his disciples, would say, follow me. Paul writes, follow me as I follow Jesus. And the description in Bible of, 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 of the Christian lifestyle, the word lifestyle comes from the word walkabout. If you, if you grew up in Australia, sometime you'd want to do a walkabout, where you just walk about the whole country. Well, the word for lifestyle in the New Testament is walkabout. And God intends for us to walk about this life by following 
after Jesus Christ. So, here's a beautiful statement that Jesus made about himself as our shepherd. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In the towns in those times, what would happen at night is that the shepherds would bring all of their sheep, multiple shepherds with a few sheep, would bring their sheep, and the sheep would be all put into a town pen, a local pen. So all the sheep would go in there, and they'd get all mixed together. And then a watchman would guide them overnight. In the morning, the shepherd would come to get his own sheep. Now, he knew what his sheep looked like. But here's the amazing thing. And this has been confirmed by shepherds in, in uh, uh, Scotland as well. Is that the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so the way he gets his sheep, his sheep out of the pen is by calling them. And in many cases, calling them by name. And the sheep hear his voice and they respond and the sheep will come and they will follow just their own shepherd. Isn't that a cool picture? Isn't that absolutely the most beautiful thing? We sang that song, He Knows My Name. He knows you inside out. Psalm 103, go read that. If you're, Psalm, Psalm 139, if you need a psalm to read today. He knows you inside out. He knows a thought before it's in your mind. He knows a word before it's on your tongue. He knows you inside out the way a shepherd would know his sheep. By the way, they, the shepherd and his sheep developed a, a deep, affectionate relationship. The sheep were usually not used not for food but for wool. And so there would be, there would be a relationship that spanned many years while they used the sheep for, for, for the wool that they had. And you spend an entire day with these little creatures if you've got any animal orientation at all, you grow an affection for them. I'm, I've had dogs. My family's always had dogs all of our life. Just always had dogs. I was never a dog person. Just kind of a weird thing, but just kind of like, mm, okay, dog. And then my son gave us a little West Highland Terrier. Oh, my gosh. And I woke up one day to realize... I love this little dog. How weird is that, Raymond? I love this dog. She, she would, when you came home, she would welcome you. Oh, oh, happy to see you, all happy to see you, for about a minute. And then it was like, eh, okay, I'm done. But to find that I could love a little dog like that. Well, the shepherd and his sheep had an affectionate relationship, usually. And he would call them by name, and they would respond, and they would follow. You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... It's because there was a day in your life when Jesus called your name. And you weren't aware of what was happening, but Jesus called your name. And you responded and believed in him because he called your name. And then this is a beautiful thing. He calls his own sheep by name and he drives them out. Is that the word? No. In the Middle East, they don't drive the sheep. They lead them. He goes ahead of them and they follow where he leads when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's the relationship God wants to have with us. He doesn't want to drive us through life. He wants us to follow him willingly. And as we follow him, he leads us to where we can get food for our souls, where we can get the refreshment for our souls. So, question. When Jesus calls my name, can I hear him? That applies to salvation, but it applies to every single day of our lives. He comes and he calls my name. 
Can I hear him or am I so busy? Am I so distracted? Am I so fatigued that when Jesus calls my name, I don't hear him because I'm listening for other stuff out there. His promise is that when I choose to follow Jesus as my leader, my soul will not lack anything that it needs. If I choose to hear him call my name and follow him, he will make sure that my soul now gets what my soul desperately needs. But in order for that to happen, I must make time for my soul to catch up to my body. Think just for a moment. Of the Ten Commandments, which commandment has the most words attached to it? Of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. That's all. You think, uh, hello, could we have a little bit more data? You shall not steal. That's all. You shall not commit adultery. A few more words. It's like, wow, that's it. Listen to the commandment that had the most words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Isn't that interesting? Of the Ten Commandments, that's the one he camped on. Why? Here's why. Because God wanted a relationship with Israel. And God wanted that relationship with Israel to be nurtured and to grow. And so he said to them, you're going to work for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to sit down and not work. Now, can you imagine a farmer sitting down and not working for their day? He's going, oi, oi, oi. I've got weeds to pull. I've got seeds to sow. I've got water to put on the land. I've got to take the day off and just sit down and do nothing. And God's message to Israel was, trust me, you do that and your crops will never fail. You do that and you will prosper as a nation. In fact, he made it even worse. Every seventh year, you let your land lie fallow, not work at all. For a whole year. Can you imagine how? But can you imagine too though. If a farmer said you know what God. You said that you'll prosper me. So I'll take the day off. Now what happened. Is it was intended to be for man. It was intended to be a benefit. That one day a week. Their soul had time to catch up with their body. Because it was a day given to the Lord. It was a day made for them to encounter with God. By the time of Jesus, it had been turned into a law, and now it was a miserable experience. And so law can e- a law like this can easily switch from being a benefit to being a burden, and they had made it a burden. But there's a principle in this, that there's a benefit, that God wants us to get into that kind of rhythm, that your soul has got time to catch up with your body so that God can access you and touch your life. Interesting thing about the Sabbath It started at sunset. That was a weird thought. To us, no, it starts in the morning and you work all day and then you rest during the night. 
The Sabbath started at sunset. In other words, that day started with you going to sleep. And then when you woke up, the day was half over. And the message was, you don't have to try to be God. God is running the world quite happily without you. In fact, you may want to write this on your, your mirror at home. I am not required to be God. We're required to rest and to allow him to access and to come into our lives. So, the Sabbath day is no longer a law in the sense that we have to do that in order to please God. But it's a basic principle. After the French Revolution, the French decided they were sick of religion and they were going to change it so that from then on, the Sabbath wasn't the seventh day, it was the tenth day. The communists did the same thing. They said, we're going to go with a ten-day break. And they drove their people to the brink of total exhaustion. They found that their people started to go stark raving mad without that kind of a break. Now, you and I do it by our own choice. <laughs> that we keep going and going and going and going. And God says, listen, your soul is too important to me. You need to make sure that you find a place and a time where you can get alone with God and allow him to have time for him to access your soul. I found mine. There's one place I can go that I can find that, ah, yes, God is here. My, uh, the pastor I worked with in, in Carlsbad, he had a place and he wanted me to go to that place. And I went to that place and I couldn't stand it. It was so claustrophobic and it was so cluttered. But he loved that place. He found his place. You and I need to find a place and a time because your soul is so important to God that he wrote a song about restoring it. Let's pray together. So just for a moment, do a little bit of soul inventory right now. How fatigued is your soul? How wounded? How busy? Just think in your mind, where could I go to just spend time alone with God. And Father God, what an astounding thing it is that this psalm teaches us that you, you, take the initiative, that you want that time, that you want to restore our souls. So help us to find you in that place. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.